Hello, and welcome to episode 151 of the award-winning Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, joined today with Michelle Kavanagh. Howdy ho! <laughs> and Phil Fariska. Welcome back, everybody. That is that is what we call foreshadowing. Of course, I'm talking about the lovely, the wonderful Melissa Kavanagh, who is has graciously put together the notes for today's show. This is going to be the Melissa extravaganza. Never again will people misstate your name, Melissa, after this yes, episode, I'm sure. They will. I promise they will. So in, in college, you said that you used to be called Michelle a lot, right? Yes, high school and college. If I was uh, miscalled the wrong name, I, it was it was always Michelle. So I will turn around when somebody says Michelle, still to this day. That's funny. That's really funny. And I've been called worse things than Michelle. So if you want to call me <laughs> Michelle, it's fine. All right. Well, thanks, Michelle. And <laughs> no stay, problem. Stay tuned to the end of the show to understand why we're making this joke because it's it's pretty amazing. And I, I've said it before. You know, we have some of the biggest fanatic fans on the show that I meet when we're at conferences and stuff no one ever remembers any of our names it's great I love it so but at least they do pay attention to the content and we got some splendid content today we're going to be talking about trends because things are a changing and we've done a couple of sentiment studies now on consumers intent to travel and just between the first two which we did on April 2nd and April 16th, 16th. There were some massive changes. We just published or sent out the survey yesterday uh, on on April 30th for the third edition. So we'll have a full four weeks of shifts after that. So stay tuned. But today we're going to look at just the differences a couple of weeks can make. And, and I think it'll bring some positivity to you right now, wondering when this stuff is going to end. I think we're going to see that definitely, at least from a sentiment perspective, people are beginning to to get a little less afraid, a little more optimistic, and looking towards the future. So before we jump into that, typically Pete would be here and do a little news or ruse jingle. We've been, as you know, trying to focus on happy news these days, and we didn't really have much. We could have talked about TripAdvisor laying off half their staff, which is obviously not happy for anyone. And that's it's a quarter the of their staff started. Oh, sorry, quarter. Well, maybe, hopefully that's not a prelude to what's to come. But we're seeing that across, you know, the OTAs and any kind of intermediary in the industry. A lot, a lot of lost jobs, which is, which is obviously horrific. But just to kind of put a positive spin on things right now, Melissa, we are seeing from our data that things may have already hit the bottom and we're beginning to pick up a little bit. That is correct. And we've been seeing, I would say this past week, another uptick. So we saw this beginning about two weeks ago and then it kind of, you know, flatlined for a bit but this week we're seeing another uptick so hopefully next week we'll see another uptick again yeah and you know a lot of the states are beginning to loosen some regulations and different areas that are doing it a little differently uh, but but i think recovery is definitely on the horizon we're seeing occupancy begin to pick up certainly demand is picking up for later in the year so hopefully we're, we're beginning to make that very long trudge towards some form of normalcy it's obviously going to take a long long time before we get back to the levels we were enjoying just a few months ago but we are we are moving in the right direction now i think the worst hopefully is is behind us and we should all be focused not on the 
terrible data that we look at when we see star reports and occupancy reports, but we should be looking at, like we talked about a couple of episodes ago with our friends at ScreenPilot, about what are the data points that are giving us indications that things are warming up. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about some data points. We're going to be talking about the, the leisure consumers sentiment studies that Fuel's been doing. If you haven't checked those out, then go to fueltravel.com slash blog. There's a couple of different ones on there. And we'll also link directly to them on the show notes to this show, which you'll find at fueltravel.com slash podcast, and then click on episode 151. So if you want to follow along at home, we'll have some notes and we'll show some pretty graphs to go along with these. But let's jump right in, shall we, Melissa, with number? We shall. Oh, hey, we're not doing any weird numbering this time, right? No, I'm by the books. All right, good. That's great to hear. I'm more of a traditional man myself. So let's jump in with number one. one, 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 one. Have you had a trip affected by the coronavirus outbreak? So in the two weeks that in between these two studies combined between people who said, yes, I have had a trip canceled or yes, I have rescheduled a trip. We are now at 66% and that's an 18% increase in just those two weeks. It's a big jump in two weeks. And I think that's indicative of, uh, and, and you look at that period, right? So it was between April 2nd and April 16th. And I think people were really unsure how long this thing was going to last. And I think there was a lot of optimism about, oh, by the beginning of May, we'll be through this or maybe mid-May. So a lot of those changes and cancellations are just because states are still on lockdown. And I think we'll continue to see that increase the longer states are on lockdown. So this one doesn't really surprise me, but it is important to realize that it, this is still affecting people. People are still canceling. And go back, if you haven't already, and listen to last week's episode, episode 150, where we really talked a lot about how to mitigate cancellations and how to try to regain people that had canceled because you're going to continue to see people cancel as their dates get closer. Do we know how many people uh, responded to the first one, also responded to this one? Because I'm sure that some of this is overlap too, right? Well, yeah, of course. Um, so just, just to clarify, what we're doing is we're sending, we have a large consumer database that we, we collected over the years from a number of city portal sites that we, we manage. So it's definitely a, a skew towards the East Coast of the US, uh, but it, it does incorporate people from all over North America. And both of these studies were sent to the exact same da- database. And in both cases, we had over 10,000 people submit answers to the survey what we don't do is we don't track individuals we're not doing any kind of personal identifiable information on this so we don't know if it was the same 10,000 people both times or if it was a different 10,000 people or if it was 5,000 the same and 5,000 different we don't know that but because the sample size is so big it doesn't really matter because we've gotten to that point when you have over 10,000 responses to something it's going to eliminate a lot of the biases that are going to exist. So it's certainly not that this is, you know, um, it's very unlikely it's completely different people. So when you look at this data, all it's saying is a chunk more people have been affected this time than they were the first time, if that if that makes sense. All right, so let's jump on, shall we? Number 
Do you still intend to take a vacation in 2020 or in 2021? So those saying yes to 2020 increased from 60% up to 65%, which again, doesn't sound like a lot, but I, I think it was important to point out that people are still planning on traveling. An overwhelming majority are still planning on traveling this year. Yeah. And the other interesting part of this, because we did give them the option to say yes in 2020, yes in 2021, the other two options were undecided and no. And the no one, which is one of the most important stats, I think, in this, last time we did it was 3%, which means that 93% of people are open to traveling in, in this year or next year. And the vast majority, like you said, are saying, so 65% are saying yes in 2020, which is great. You couple that with the, the undecided of 19%. That's a good chunk of people are willing to travel this year. But the big difference between first time we did it on April 2nd and April 16th was that no number dropped from 3% to 2%. So that means a third of the people that said, absolutely not, I'm not going to travel have now flipped and they've either flipped to yes I'm going to travel in 2020 or the other one that increased a little bit was the undecided so another wind indicator right this is a trend that we're looking for here and this shows that people are getting more open to that idea so I think that's really really positive data point the next one I think is my favorite question and my favorite stat of the study for this time and that is oh we need to announce it number which of the following would most likely persuade you to book a future vacation during the coronavirus? So there were a few options, um, but outstanding numbers of people said the flexibility to change my dates without penalty for this round. So we had 60% that said that, and that's up from 49%. But even better news than that is that the people who said nothing could convince me to, to travel uh, went from 40% down to 28%. Yeah. Wow. Which is similar to that previous data point where people were like, nope, just not traveling. People are now, okay, well, maybe I would. And that's, again, in a two-week period from April 2nd to April 16th. So we're definitely seeing that initial fear reaction. People are beginning to digest it a little bit and beginning to think a little more rationally. So as we all begin to loosen up and go about our business and take more trips to the grocery store and get used to that, I think that, you know the biggest battle we're all facing here is psychology. You know, nothing material, materially has changed in these two weeks other than people's tolerance and comfort level. So I think these these are really good signs. It, and we, like I said, we just filled the, the next version of this survey. I would anticipate seeing both these trends continue on the next one as well. Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, I know this is a big study that we're doing, but personally, I think that I, I definitely plan on traveling in, in 2020, and I still want the flexibility to change without penalty. I think that, you know, it's still there's still uncertainty, but I still plan on traveling because I am optimistic that that's still going to be a possibility. But in the event that it's not, the most important thing would be the flexibility to change. 
Exactly. It's you're dealing with uncertainty, which is different than risk. And in this case, people, the only way you can combat uncertainty is with certainty. And and what Phil just did there, if you weren't believing the ten thousand people that filled out the survey, now you have a sample size of one that re- <laughs> reinforced it. So a really important one. This is true. <laughs> Here's a a question for the group, if you will. So we know that the majority of properties out there are really doing the right thing by consumers and opening up their cancellation policies and all that stuff. How long do you think this is going to last? Is this going to be a forever thing or are people going to tighten those reins back up again? I, I think it'll be a gradual tightening. And you know when that begins is, is really going to be tied to what happens with COVID-19 and, and the uncertainty surrounding it. You know, if, if a vaccine comes out tomorrow, uh, or if really positive treatment comes out tomorrow and, and mitigates all of the risk around it, then I think you know we're going to see it sooner rather than later. But the re- reality is, it's likely not going to be until late twenty, mid to late twenty twenty one before people start slowly ratcheting it back. But you know this is something that's a new competitive advantage potentially to people. Uh, but but it's also something that isn't in the long-term best interest of the hotels themselves. So they're going to want to get back to uh, at some point. But I, I don't, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a while. I think. All right, we ready to move on to number four. Four 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 four. This is a two-part question, but only one answer really changed. So we asked. When do you intend to book your future vacation? And when do you intend to travel for your future vacation? And the only part that changed was those uh, intending to book, where after the threat, quote unquote, passed, uh, responses shrunk from 44% down to 35%, with more people, you know, picking an actual date where it was actually May and June in this round that picked up the most traction and so people traveling still very much undecided and saying when the virus has passed so in my mind it this is an indicator that people are feeling more confident about booking but still not ready to actually go travel yeah for sure and we've talked a lot on the show about the the dreaming phase, the planning phase of travel is still very much at the forefront of people's minds, especially right now as they're cooped up and they're looking for an escape. So I think we're going to see, and we are seeing from our data that booking pace is picking up, but they're booking for a later date because they think this is going to be somewhat over by then, but they're not a hundred percent sure. So going back to that last question, giving them the, the, flexibility to be able to change their mind later is what's going to push them over the edge from dreaming to actually booking. All right. Moving on to number Okay. So this is the last data point with a comparison set. And the question is, as a result of the coronavirus situation, which best describes you? And this is talking about budgets. So their options were my budget is less for my next vacation, more for my next vacation, has not changed, or quote-unquote other, which allowed for a write-in. And this surprised the heck out of me, given this two-week period. Uh, so we had 38% of respondents 
said that they would spend less on the last version. And we are down to 31% saying that they would spend less on this round of respondents. And I was surprised that that number shrunk with unemployment going through the roof. Yeah, but there's this weird thing going on. So we were were on Lauren Gray's this week in hospitality marketing show earlier. And Lily Mockerman, who was on uh, a couple of episodes ago on our show, brought up a great point, which is that there's a group of people, you know, folks that typically make less than $40,000 a year that lost their job and now on unemployment. And with the CARE Act and, and the extra $600 a week they're getting on top of the typical unemployment, they're actually potentially making more money than they were before. So I think there's there's a subset of people that when we first asked this question was before all of this was kind of figured out what was going on with the CARES Act and, and people were actually getting their money and unemployment was a, a cluster because people couldn't get on the websites and all that stuff. But sitting in that two-week period, a lot of that got straightened out. So you've probably got a lot more people that were very panicked that are now a little bit more um, comfortable with where they are. So I think that could be playing a part there. That's a good point. I'm, I'm still wondering who the 4% that has a bigger budget, who are those people? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it could be th- that group there or, you know, it could be people that are selling toilet paper. I don't know. <laughs> All right. But so those were the five. And we told you at the beginning of the show that we were only going to do five uh, trends that were changing and we, we did not lie and we did not let you down. Those are five big shifts that we're seeing that are all very important and, and good indicators of the, the changing winds. However, we're always here to over-deliver and under-promise. And in this case, we've also got a couple of extra questions that we wanted to touch on because these weren't comparisons, but these were new questions we asked the second time we did the survey. So, Melissa, do you want to start off with number All right. So I'm apologizing to listeners because the data on this is very visual. So I really recommend you hop onto the website and grab these show notes so you can actually see this data in person. But the question is, how soon after the restrictions are lifted, will you be willing to make the following trips? And so we have categories broken down basically by distance from home, starting with stay at a hotel in my local area, drive up to two hours from my home, drive up to six, up to 10, and then fly to a destination. And then we've got that broken down by these time frames: within one month, one to three months, three to six months, six to 12 months, or more than a year. And you can very clearly see where people are most comfortable, you know, in a short amount of time after restrictions are open, where they're going to go. And they're not going very far. They're either, you know, staying at home or they're driving up to two hours. Up to two hours, we had almost 38% of people are willing to go within one month after restrictions being open. And another 32% within one to three months. This matches our prediction when when this kind of all started and we said you know, the first the first group to be back will be your drive market. This data bears that out perfectly. I mean, up to two hours from your home is kind of that 100 mile to 200 mile radius that we keep talking about is, is what you need to be targeting from a, from the marketing perspective. Uh, this just 
spells it out so clearly you need to come see the the show notes and see this graph for yourself yeah it's crazy and if you look at it it's over 85 percent of people are willing to travel up to two hours within six months of the restrictions being lifted that that is overwhelming majority of people will travel up to two hours uh, and then if you compare that to the next one it's down i'm doing some quick math in my like 78 percent um so and then it keeps going down and down beyond that. So definitely targeting those close in. The one weird anomaly on this, but I think we understand why it's an anomaly now, is that the people that are willing to stay uh, near their home or in their hometown was slightly lower than the t within two hours. But if we look at that broken down by geography, you'll see that some of that's because people are living near hotspots. So for example, if I'm in New York, I'm probably not going to want to stay at a hotel in my local area. I'm going to want to travel up to two hours. So what we're going to do in the next time we release this data is really try to break out some of the demographic breakdowns of this data. And, and geography is going to be one of those. So I think this is a question I really want to see broken down geographically. Yeah, I think the, the last thing I wanted to touch on was that only, was that, 60% of people said they would fly within the year mm -hmm. yeah that's that's kind of a, another prediction we had there would be some apprehension to flying people would be much more likely to drive and, and again that's that's exactly what this data is showing we are fortune tellers <laughs> i like to think so well you have been called the oracle before Melissa. i have so. been called the oracle yeah amongst other things michelle that's right <laughs> all right number how soon after the restrictions are lifted will you be willing to travel to the following types of destinations? So again, we have the same blocks of time, one month, one to three months, three to six months, but now we're looking at different types of destinations. Beach destination, somewhere in nature, small town, major city, ski destination, theme park, or foreign country. And if a graph could not look any more different, like split down the middle between outside spaces and small populations versus everything else you have got to go look at this chart <laughs> it's crazy i yeah. tell you it's crazy yeah it, it looks like international travel is not happening anytime soon no 2.5 I mean, percent said they would travel internationally within the first month 3.1 percent within the first three months and 5.9 within the first six months so it's yeah that international travel is not something you want to be targeting anytime soon but that that if you're in a beach destination holy cow you should or or an outdoor destination there's a lot of opportunity for you right now to take some market share away from the big cities here's here's one that uh, i thought was pretty interesting so ski destination and theme park are pretty high touch you know you you're gonna be near other people almost definitely um however I think theme park would be a little more condensed, close quarters, lots of lines, I guess. I mean, I guess you'd have that in ski too, but way more people were willing to go to a theme park than a ski destination. And I'm wondering if that's because more people can and or more people just don't ski. Yeah. I think there's a natural bias if you look at the population of people that ski and don't ski. I think that definitely is going to skew this one. But you're right in terms of skiing is is very compact you're, you're dealing with you know the a lot of opportunities to touch the same thing other people have touched in the ski lifts and, and, and such so 
I, you know, I think it's definitely, I've seen other studies that show similar data that ski destinations are low, but I think you're right. I think if you ask people that, if we broke this down and asked a question, have you ever been skiing before? And then broke this down by the people that had and the people that hadn't, we'd probably see some, some different data there. I'm, I'm still a little surprised that over 50% of people said they would go to a go to a theme park. Um, I know Disney, we, we mentioned a couple shows ago that Disney was going to open back up, but I feel like that would be one thing that people would avoid like the plague. Yeah, but if you look at the data, I mean, it tells you that they're apprehensive about it, right? So if, if you look at theme parks and say, okay, how many are going to travel within one month? It's only 8.8%. And then another 14% said within three months. So Within three months of restrictions being lifted, you've only got 22%. So less than a quarter of people would be willing to go. So you compare that to, say, let's look at ones. Let's look at beaches, right? Um, so beach destination, 28.7% said within a month. 31.1% said within three months. And then 22 within six months. So there you've got you know, the vast majority of people, what is that, about 80 two percent of people are saying they'll go to a beach within six months versus you know 22 percent going to a theme park so it, it's a stark contrast for sure and it also goes to show people are even much more willing to go to a theme park within the united states within the next six months or three months than would go travel international, yeah. foreign country in a year so yeah that is that's pretty shocking yeah and the other thing the big city was you know it looks like it's yeah. gonna it's gonna struggle a little bit too. Um, certainly seems to rebound a little better than uh, theme parks, but it, but it's not still, much. Yeah, not not much in. Um, yeah, by the time you get to this the fourth kind of gr uh, grouping, it's there's not much in it. So I think I think there's you know the the takeaway here is if you're a beach destination, an outdoorsy kind of place, a mountain destination, or a small town. You, you have an opportunity to get people there quickly. You know, within three months, all three of those have more than 50% of people say they will travel within three months of restrictions being lifted. And guess what? Restrictions are now being lifted. So the good news there is if you're a beach destination and you, your area doesn't have some kind of resurgence, your summer should be okay. You know, May is obviously going to be way off. June will probably be a bit soft, but come July and August and September which is where the, a lot of beach destinations make the majority of their revenue, uh, you know, you, you should be okay. Maybe can't command quite the rate you once did, but uh, I still think you, you're going to have uh, be able to fill up those hotels this summer. That's very good news. Yeah. So let's keep our fingers crossed and keep social distancing and, and following the appropriate protocols. Uh, I know I've, I've been personally spending a lot of time working with properties and destinations about guidelines and uh, I can link to some on the, on the show notes page, but what are the things you can be doing as a hotel to protect your staff, to protect your visitors and protect your local community? That There's a lot of very simple processes you can put in place now as you start to welcome guests back, which are going to minimize your risk and, and keep everyone safe. So that should be something you're focused on right now because th things you know shut down really quickly and they're going to start opening up pretty quickly as well. We're not, we're not talking months of reopening. We're talking about weeks. If you look at the federal guidelines, they, they're doing what they're calling gates every two weeks uh, to, to open things up. So 
if you're in a destination that's already seeing uh, you're past the, the peak of cases, you're already moving forward towards this phase one, phase two, and phase three, which is all going to happen within a 30-day period. And then you're pretty much going to be open for business. And it's just a case of getting consumers to get their confidence back. And we've talked a lot on the show about how you can do that by reassuring them about your cleaning processes, by, by mitigating the risk of uncertainty, by giving flexible cancellations, those kind of things. Just go back and listen to the last five or six episodes. There's a lot of talk about that stuff. But now is the time you've got to be doing this stuff because it's this this little pit stop we've had is beginning to end and you've got to you've got to be ready for it. Alrighty. So we have some listener feedback. So we've been joking all all day, all show long about your name, Melissa. And so yes. I think people now are going to figure out why this is. All right. Here is our listener feedback for the week. Hi, Pete, Stewart, and Michelle. I am one of your podcast listeners, and I have two questions that I'm curious about. One, suggestions and best food options for mid-scale hotels that provide breakfast post-COVID with also keeping in mind our all-important guests and their expectations. And two, also, where do you see the future of the mid-scale or economy hotel breakfast going? Look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for your podcast and keep up the good work. And I am I am sorry some have to be in the closet, but whatever you got to do to make it work, right? Stay safe. <laughs> Best regards, Mary from Colorado. Mary, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a listener. Thank you for writing in with your questions. And thank you for calling Melissa Michelle. And thank you for forgetting to include Phil, but mentioning that he's still in the closet, which is where he's recording from every episode. So this is I'm wondering... Great. I'm wondering if Mary did that, just left me out on purpose because you guys said to uh, how many episodes ago, (laughs) 50 episodes ago, you said, hey, you should write in and then just exclude Phil. This is true. Wow. Then she is indeed a super fan on many levels, if if that's the case. So I'm I'm going with that. I'm saying Mary is a super fan. Awesome. Well, she is a super fan in my eyes because she wrote in. We appreciate it, Mary. So how do you guys want to tackle this question? It's, It's sort of interwoven is two two parts but it's really you know talking about the same subject which is you know food how do how do people eat especially breakfast at a hotel moving forward the the way i see it i think it's gonna be some some type of grab and go option will be uh very commonplace especially for those properties that had uh, a buffet and and their guests are used to having a buffet when they when they stay there. Um, some kind of like grab and go breakfast sandwich, um, maybe bottles of juice rather than the dispensers. Um, things along those line those lines where you don't have to touch a lot of things that other people have been touching. Yeah, I think I think it's inevitable, right? Buffets are just not a thing anyone's going to want to participate in anytime soon. Now, will they come back? I mean, if we're looking long term, twelve months from now, people love a buffet. Yeah, I think I think it will. <laughs> it will just like other things, it will come back gradually. Um, but I don't think I would want to be that first hotel to bring back the buffet. I think you're going to get some some backlash for that. But but certainly in the next three months, buffets are off the table. Boom boom shh. No, I'm just thinking about this, like as as a consumer, mm-hmm. like I really hadn't thought about it until this very second. When you go to one of those, you know, 
places that you get the waffle maker and all mm-hmm. that stuff. I'm like, there's no sneeze guard. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even like going to a restaurant buffet. It's just everything is out in the open for everybody to touch. Right. And the, and the kids are running around with their snotty noses and yes. not unsupervised. And that's just my kids and let alone everyone else's. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think when, if, and when it does come back, I think there's going to be a lot of restrictions, a lot of, protocol a lot of supervision from staff needed to to oversee it i think certainly it'll be adults only to start with so they'll require adults make the plates for the kids Uh, but i think in the short term you've got to get creative and figure out an alternative because the, the reality is people expect a breakfast especially if you're a property that they've stayed at before and they've had breakfast um so so i think figure out what's right for you and your audience and, and then make sure you're marketing it appropriately. Make sure you're setting expectations because you don't want to have backlash. You don't want to have that, that one consumer that's been coming for years that shows up and, and has always enjoyed the, the buffet breakfast and gets there and now finds out it doesn't exist. So you've got to really make sure in your marketing that you're, you're explaining what you've changed and why you've changed it. And again, at check-in, anytime you have an opportunity to talk to the guest and explain why, uh, I think that's going to be helpful. But... You know, either it's going to be served plates like a traditional restaurant and you're going to have to follow all the guidelines that DHEC and other places are putting out related to restaurants in terms of spacing and sanitization, staff wearing face masks and all that good stuff. Um, Or like Phil said, it's going to be some kind of grab and go options that are not just laying out there for people to grab, but are actually handed out by the front desk or something like that or, or a staff member that's kind of supervising so people aren't pouring over all of the inventory you have, but I think, I think it's, it's challenging. The good, the good news is, and and we're certainly not experts on, on F and B here, but there's a lot of folks out there that are putting out some really good guidelines. I know national, um, uh, restaurant association has put some out. I know a lot of state governments are putting out guidelines for restaurant reopenings, including buffets, so, you know, a quick Google search is going to give you a plethora of information. And the good news is because so many people are thinking about it, you're going to get different ideas from different sources. So just spend some time really looking through and, and trying to create some protocols and policies and procedures that make sense for you and your, your business. And then if you're a flag, if you're any, any kind of franchise, I think uh, the corporate level is going to dictate a lot of that to you as well. So be, be leaning on them heavily for guidance and uh if you're not a a flag maybe go talk to the the hotel down the street that is a flag and ask them what what are they doing you know certainly a lot of flags my family and i have always enjoyed when we travel for sports and things like that we always uh if we're not staying at an independent hotel we'll stay at a spring hill suites because my kids love their breakfast and the rooms are comfortable and accommodate us well so you know certainly it's a consideration for me next time I say at Spring Hill, what, what, what is the breakfast option? I'm going to want to know ahead of time. So make sure you're, you're letting the guests know. But that is a great question, Mary. Thank you. We should have, we should have called Mary something different. Marie. Marie. There you go. Thanks, I'm Marie. going to call her Michelle. <laughs> Michelle from Colorado. Thanks for you the, me uh, Michelle. The yeah. Everyone's Michelle. Everyone's Michelle. That's funny. You're like a you're like a kid on the playground when someone calls you like a fat head or something. You said, "No, you're a fat head." <laughs> you're a fat head. Yeah. Hey, that's still my go-to. Fat head. <laughs> Only I've never no. heard you call someone fat head. Just just hitting them back with the same insult. Yeah, but you do you do it even when it's not an insult. 
you know you just say you're a whatever it is whenever you want to it's very bizarre I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah all right well if you want to have your uh listener feedback read out on the show and mocked like mary did then you can always email us info at fueltravel.com we only make fun of the people we love and we love the fueligans who listen to our show so please don't take offense to this mary we do it in jest in with the utmost respect for you and your question. So thank you for, for that. And if anyone listening wants to give us some feedback, either in the form of an email, like I said, at info at fueltravel.com or as a review on Apple podcasts, we would really, really appreciate that. So, and if you want, if you want Pete to read it in a funny accent, that's, that's good too. That would be great. So Melissa, thank you so much for putting this show together. This was great. And now oh, it's my pleasure. you're about to endeavor on, the biggest uh, an analysis you've probably ever done in your entire life with this third study, because we're going to slice and dice that bad boy until it looks uh, like a, I don't know, like a stir fry. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm on point with my analogies today. Yeah. Let's, let's roll with that. <laughs> sure. Do you want to give people a little tease about what we're going to be looking at with this new one? We're looking at all the things because we are going to slice and dice it. We're going to look at these mostly same questions, but now this will be a month from the first survey that went out. It'll be two weeks from the second survey went out. And now we're going to be able to slice it by region and by um, household income and by age. Yeah, those are the big three. And I think it's, it's going to be important. Uh, one of the things we're talking a lot to our clients about right now is the fact that the old rules don't apply, your old demographics are not necessarily your new demographics, that we've all got to be a lot more aggressive with our marketing and go out and, and hunt for business versus just um, gathering the intent that already existed. We've really got to ad adopt the mentality of a predator now and go find the people and, and hunt the food that we want because our competition is going to be doing the same. So understanding the psychology of the situation, understanding the intent of individuals is going to be really critical as you develop a more granular and targeted marketing strategy moving forward. And if you have not already done it, I'm going to say it every episode until everyone in the world has done it, and not even all our clients are doing this yet, and we keep telling them, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, but go put together a survey and send it to your own email database because we're giving you a great insight into a, a database of North American travelers. But what about your guests? What about the people who have stayed with you before? What are they thinking? When are they planning on, on traveling? What, what are their fears? What do they want to hear from you? Those are questions you can get answered right now. And people are willing to give you that kind of feedback. And the people that have done it are getting phenomenal interactions they're getting great open rates great click-through rates which helps the health of their list and they're getting a ton of submissions for their surveys so if you need help doing that just give us a shout info at fueltravel.com and we can point you in the right direction or even manage it for you turnkey so but you have to be asking questions to your guests right now because they're going to give you so much valuable insight into how you can be successful moving forward amen yeah Felt like there should have been a mic drop right then, but I don't have a mic in my hand, so I can't. I could drop my Start computer. Yeah, through my <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much. If Melissa, if people want to learn more about you, where can they do that? 
I am on Twitter, M.A. Kavanaugh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. But everybody seems to be finding me on LinkedIn, so you can find me there, too. Yeah, and you can look for Melissa to be highlighted on HSMAI's Friday emails moving forward, where she's going to be doing some insights into our travel data every week in video form. That's right. That first one went out today, I believe. So That's supposedly true. So go I'm to sure. HSMAI.org and check that bad boy out. They should call it Stats from the Oracle. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Phil, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at pfariska, P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A. Uh, you can find me at Stuart Butler. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. Again, the notes to this show, including the graphs that you probably need to look at versus listen to, are at fueltravel.com slash podcast. Click on episode 151. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Yeah, you did. You did? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? I'm positive. Did you say welcome back, Fuelians? No, I said welcome back, everybody. Oh, boo. Yeah. I also apparently lost my mind because I really don't even remember him introducing you. <laughs> Guess I That's tuned okay. you out. Sorry, everybody tunes me out. Nobody includes me in the feedback. I am the redheaded stepchild of this podcast, and I've accepted it.